On part one of episode 137 of the Vincast, I chat with Lucy Kendall, winemaker and one half of Cultivar Vinos and George Wines. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of The Vincast with James Gersbrook, a.k.a. The Intrepid Wino. I'm really, really excited to have you um, on part one of the special two-part episode of the podcast um, because uh, I was able to sit down with uh, both halves of uh, two really fantastic small wine companies based here in Melbourne, Cultivar Vinos and uh, a new project, George Wines. Uh, so please make sure you s- listen to both parts. Uh, on edition one, uh, I am chatting with Lucy Kendall, who brings a kind of a, a winemaker's perspective. She has a, an amazing background as a winemaker, uh, both in Australia and overseas. Uh, and then listen to part two with Alice Lestrange, who uh, kind of uh, has a bit more of a cultural uh, journey to to wine. Um, now, uh, I actually did sit down with uh, with Lucy, and uh, there was a bit of a problem with the recording, so we had to sit down and uh, and re-record the interview. But uh, both chats were fantastic and unique, uh, and I, I really think that uh, it was worth re-recording with her. So I hope you enjoy it. Uh, please do stick around to the end to find out uh, how you can get in touch with us, and also how you can. Um, head along to Culture the Vine here in Brunswick to um, taste the new releases from uh, Alice and Lucy. But until then, I'll see you on the other side. Lucy, take two. <laughs> uh, welcome, I guess, welcome back uh, yeah. on the Vincast again. Um, thank you for, for making some time before we uh, head down to Geelong for another fun day showing some uh, delicious wines. But uh I'm glad we could have some some more time to to chat. Uh, so, uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> <laughs> my pleasure. Uh, if you could tell me um, the the kind of the earliest interaction with wine you had that kind of set you on a path that you you know found yourself in the wine industry. You know, do you, when did wine kind of become important to you? Um, it became important to me when I was, um, doing my undergraduate degree. I did at Melbourne Uni, I was doing arts and science and, uh, I'd always wanted to be a writer. I'd always wanted to go down that path. Um, did you sort of know what kind of writing you wanted to do? Um, yeah, I mean, mainly creative fiction and, um, a little bit of sort of, Non-fiction historical writing um, was a bit of a history buff. My dad's a big history buff, so oh really? Yeah. Any particular he, um, periods or he, places? Lots in the world? of military history. Really? Yeah. He's really, really. He's got. But like more, like modern military. Uh, modern or? military, yeah. Right, okay. So World War One, World War Two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he's uh, he's got an incredible <clears throat> book collection. So, and when we when I was growing up, we used to watch a lot of um, historical documentaries together, and he'd always recommend me a new book and. He's got an incredible memory, so he can just he just remembers so so many finite little details that I wouldn't even ever, wow. ever even, um, imagine could exist. So <laughs> so yeah, he um so he kind of that was one of the elements I was really interested in. And then um, during uni, I was sort of feeling a little bit kind of disconnected from um, the um, from things, and I started to get a job in a wine shop um, and that kind of was the bug really. Like I started meeting people talking about wine. 
access to incredible wines, um, started to sort of love that, you know, kid in the candy shop thing of showing people th- styles and saying, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think? Mm-hmm. And also there was just something a little bit more realistic or pragmatic about it, I think, at that time. So um, I remember trying one wine and being like, where does that come from? Like wanting to understand with how it came to be and what the compounds were and then you know trying another wine being like why is this one so different and then obviously you've got things like site and grower and producer and you know it becomes this whole big whirlwind of fun so you, mm. you sort of set me off on a path of like Alice in Wonderland style trying to to understand where things were coming from. So you kind of liked picking apart the sort of the variables the different things that contribute to a wine but also there was kind of tapping into maybe that creative that writing side of you yeah in that kind of thing oh, how does this one make me feel and how yeah. am i in- interpreting it and, and, and that how kind of is another person interpreting it yeah to me and what yeah. do they get from it that i don't get and there's just so many i think that's part of the wonderful element of this you know that that, that cliched art meets science in wine but it's what makes it so exciting for a lot of people because there is a scientific method behind it but there is also this artistic creative fun side because you know everybody's palate's different and you know they if you like study food science, basically you can say that the mapping of a palate, it ch- changes for every single person because of how, you know, you, you, your palate has memorized certain compounds in a food or yeah, yeah. so how it's, your taste buds have developed from day one. So I find that really interesting because it's, it's hard to standardize that in tastings a lot of the time, but it's also, it has to be scientific at the same time. You have to calibrate, you have to standardize, but also, there is this area of subjectivity that we'll never be able to. Yeah, it's overcome. it's kind of like how the synapses in your brain kind of interpret that 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 kind of when when you are tasting something and and the scientific kind of you know lo- looking at mapping, like you said. Yeah. And, but then, how do you interpret that? Because yeah. you know, it's your brain is going to interpret things differently. Yeah. It's funny you sort of talk about that because I kind of my entry in well my real interest in wine was sort of similar like i studied literature at, at at melbourne uni and you know i did certain courses like i did one on postmodernism mm. about kind of the, 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 the oh really <laughs> yeah, about the auteur and and i kind of eventually you know when i realized what a vigneron was i kind of liked that that auteur model but i like directors who kind of you know mm. wrote direct produced everything mm. um but there was one element of postmodernism that i really have always connected with it's that kind of the that idea that you know you can create something but when you release it to the public it doesn't belong to you anymore mm. it's up to the individual mm. that it, they can take ownership of that and they can interpret it in their own way and they can sort of find meaning in things that you, you you kind of weren't thinking that. And I said, that's not, wasn't my intention, but that's your ex- experience of it. And I mm-hmm. like that idea with wine is uh, that, um, you know, we can do everything we want, but once the wine's in the bottle and it's available for sale, it's up to the individual. You know, they can enjoy it however they want to and they can kind of taste things and smell things, mm-hmm. you know, in, in their own way, in their own context. So mm-hmm. I like that idea. Yeah, and I guess it's... Your mood and when you taste and the context you taste in is crucial, right? So, you know, something that you might taste on a lab bench and you take home that night and have a bottle of will look very different and the wine that you might have liked on that on that bench might be not the wine that you like when you go home and if you open a bottle of wine one day and you're really enjoying it and the next you don't enjoy it might be where you're at and your mood or it might be just simply inconsistencies in the wine and it's like, well, you know, that's what makes it so exciting for a lot of people because it's not just a standard beverage. It's something that will change constantly. And yeah. I mean, it's not just, um, 
the fact that wine can have a lot of variation, but also that culturally it's got that attachment to it. You know, it's it's been it's been present at a lot of key like political occasions. It's yeah, been exactly present at a lot of you know it's it's what we toast for with big speeches. It's been it's been a, interwoven in history, and it's got that weight and meaning to it. So whenever you open a bottle of wine, it's not just a simple gesture of well, I'm, I'm sure your dad is a, a particularly as a military history buff kind of knows. You know the relationship that Winston Churchill had with you know Paul champagne Roger, and drinking it in the and, bunker. <laughs> you know Napoleon Bonaparte kind of would always go you know through champagne either to the battle to the battlefield or from it. Mm. Uh, you know, um, and, and so yeah, like you say, I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever read any of these books um, written by. I think they're a Dutch couple. Um, it's two books in particular. It's one. It's called Wine, Wine and War. Okay. It's about the 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 impact of of. I th- I think, I'm not sure if it's a specific war or a couple of wars in France, but then there's one specifically about Champagne and how, mm. you know, wars going through Champagne, which most of them have, have devastated and have had to restart so yeah. many times. It, it is, you know, like European history, of course, well, has that- heavily impacted by that. When I went to Mouton Rothschild, um, I remember being on a tour and just looking around the cellars and the woman um, told me that, because they had a, it was a Jewish family, so during the war they um, had to escape to London. And what happened was um, the SS raided the winery and got in touch with them via telegram, saying, "If you don't, if you don't adhere to this, these stipulations, we will trash the winery." And the um, owner at the time wrote back to this um, general and said, "Hey, I would really love it if you." please don't do that. That's my history. That's my family. Um, I will do whatever you want. And essentially what that happened was during the um, occupation, the SS soldiers started topping barrels. They were working as cellar hands. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they were, they were topping everything, taking care of the wine. After the war, um, the owner came to this general and said, thank you so much. Um, how about you become a, a, you know, a part of our company, and eventually he became some sort of sales rep for Mouton Rothschild in, in later on in life. Um, so it was this really beautiful turn of at, events at, at a point where people could afford Mouton Rothschild again. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, Even and a also few years. yeah. So he became involved in in Mouton Rothschild, and it's just an incredible piece of history that it worked out that way because they could have lost everything in that moment. And, and that's the kind of like when you look at history in that way. Obviously, we look at it at a macro level, mm. and we think about like you know armies and like masses of people kind of moving through and they talk about, oh, this happened, that happened. But yeah. when you kind of get down to a micro level in, in, in that way, you kind of realize that these are human beings. Like these are people who, you know, are uh, emotional and, and passionate about things and, and, and you can't just kind of cast, you know, a Nazi soldier in a certain way. There, yeah. there, there, there are going to be subtle differences in the same way that there would be, you know, as far as ally, yeah. allied soldiers. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you grew up in Aubrey, am I right? Yeah, I was born in England and um, moved over when I was quite young and um, my dad got a job here. So there's I'm one of four and so all of us moved over and it was quite a, a you know, change in bit of a cultural shock really um moving from like the cobblestone parts of england to rural new south wales mm. and i had you know i was really little i had this little blonde haircut um i had a quite a strong accent at the time so when i arrived um people couldn't really understand me and there's a, you know i just remember asking for a felt tip pen at class and somebody replied a texter and i was like what's a texter like i just had no idea what these languages meant i was just completely um, a bit shocked, really. Isn't but, that um, one of those ones where, like, 
it's it's a brand. Yeah, brand. But you associate what it is with the brand, like calling something a Hoover. Yeah, exactly. And I'm not even – I wasn't even – I couldn't imagine what it would have been like for somebody from – who um, was from even a more diverse context because I was I was culture shocked really coming sure. from one that that context to a um, rural New South Wales. So, but yeah, I grew up in Albury and then when I was um, eighteen, I moved to Melbourne and did my degree and then later on moved to Adelaide and did uh, my masters of winemaking in viticulture. But as far as um, growing up in Albury, you like you lived on a farm and and you kind of you kind of mucked in a little bit with your dad? Yeah, yeah. I grew up, um, my dad had a um, Black Angus cattle and he had a property just 15 minutes out of Albury. So, you know, often every weekend he'd drag me out of bed because he's a bit of an early earliest, um, riser. And so we used to go to the farm and work together and he'd, you know, we'd just drive around. He'd be like, this is, you know, this is this plant or this is this weed or this is this watercourse you can see. And it was really, it was really beautiful to to have that experience and I think it's kind of been in my mind ever since and sort of tapped Inverted into why, like, kind of you, you establish a relationship with the land and, yeah, exactly. and agriculture and, and the and the seasons cycles that kind of thing yeah and I feel like my family history when you look at it it's a lot of farmers a lot of laborers but you know a lot of farming background in my family and I think it's sort of why I've been drawn to winemaking and viticulture as well I haven't I haven't really been able to escape that bug I always knew I'd be drawn back to it did it was was there much wine consumed at home when you were growing up um, a lot of cheap wine. <laughs> but like, was it kind of a, you know, Aubrey Wodonga's not far from, you know, some pretty important historical wine regions? I uh, my group, my um, really good friend, she, um, her family had a property out in Rudler Glen, a really incredible winery. And, yeah, right. And I okay. remember running around the winery, um, creating a bit of chaos, no doubt, with her. And just that, I think what really... I didn't understand wine at that age, of course, but I think there was something about the community and the, you know, the family and the history that really sort of caught me then. Mm -hmm. And I think that sort of um, resonates with my family growing up. You know, we didn't really, we couldn't really appreciate wine. We weren't really interested in that, but what we loved was wine, you know, having social gatherings and parties and community. Yeah. Community. My mum and dad were always having parties, always drinking wine. You know, they're, they're quite social people. So I remember growing up and that was always what I was immersed in more about what wine represented to people and that it brought people together. So that was, I guess, wine in that context is, is kind of how so, it's grew. So when you moved down to Melbourne and you were, you were studying, you kind of, you had that understanding of what wine was as far as, well, firstly, it's an agricultural product, but yeah. also there's kind of a historical element to it. There's so, a social element. So this, this was kind of tapping into you as a person, possibly. Yeah. Is that possibly why you kind of thought about working, you know, part time in, in wine retail to start off with? Is it, did you kind of want to, you, you said you, you know, you felt a little bit disconnected from, from where you, where you'd grown up and, and yeah. maybe that was a way for you to kind of feel a little bit connected. Yeah, that and I remember I remember after an exam one day I celebrated by going to the local bottle shop and at the time twenty dollars meant a lot to me, so I spent twenty dollars on a bottle of wine and it was it was a Barossa Shiraz. And I went home and started drinking it and I never really drank wine in that way to appreciate and savour and I remember thinking like it just sort of just that act of looking at something, sitting with something, actually being quite present and tasting was something that also um, captivated me as well. And I suppose that was what I did with my family. You know, we all sat around and enjoyed each other's company. and It was very mindful. It wasn't just, um, you know, all that rush of the city, I suppose. Like in the country, you do have time to sit and relax. And often, 
you know, you'd, you'd at 5 p.m. that's when dinner start, you know, you start making dinner and there's rituals to it. So the, it had a lot of meaning in that sense, maybe for me subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas, you know, when you go to the city when you're younger, it's quite overwhelming. There's lots of exciting new people to meet, new experiences. You're learning new things, but sometimes you want that kind of groundedness. And yeah, I suppose yeah. like having wine is sort of d- does that to you, even in even if you don't have that connection to it, it can sort of ground you. You have to sit back and really listen to yourself and what you you like about the wine and what your palate's telling you. And I think that's a wonderful part of, you know, our world is like uh, uh, at the moment in our world where we're always on the go is wine can sort of slowly sit you back in things and you have to appreciate it and savor the moment a bit more. Well, wine can be one of those products, that, one of those rare products that can immediately connect you with a place as well. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and where wherever you are you can if you choose to uh immediately sort of connect with that place when you taste a wine and think about you know mm. uh, and, and, and the other obviously the other element of it is that it's a snapshot it is a, a vintage generally mm-hmm. uh, and you can kind of think about well you know like i remember i'm not sure if you've seen the movie sideways but um that my probably my favorite scene in the whole movie where where she asks him why he loves pinot so much and then you know, he asks her, like, why do you love wine so much? And she talks about, like, I love sort of tasting wine, thinking about, you know, what it was like in that year and everyone mm. who worked in it and if it's an old wine, if, you yeah. know, people have died since then, that kind of thing. I, I always sort of have enjoyed that that kind of experience with wine. Yeah, that's a, and it's a great description of why it's so exciting and that it's not just, you know, the winemaking making the wine. There's so many hands that touch a wine before it gets to us, you know, mm. from the grower, mm. from the people working in the vineyard mm. to the people picking the fruit to the people processing it to, you know, the people bottling it to the people handling the cases of it to the people unwrapping it, selling it to you. There's so many hands at play there. It's not just the winemaker. So that's that's part of why it's such a great community product in a way. It's like all these people on board to you know they they're promoting that experience of wine to people yeah. and they're they're crucial to it so it, it is really exciting to think about any of those slight differences changing from year to year and mm. and you know different people doing different things in those processes so. Mm. so like myself your entry into the wine industry was through retail and you kind of you stuck with it for for a while you, yeah you liked, so you know. I just while I was doing my degree I worked in um, retail for a while and then I got a job at a place called Winehouse and they have an incredible collection of old and rare wines, lots of back vintages of, you know, um, Mount Mary and um, Henschke, Hill of Grace and some, you know, like Comlefons and um, some Barolos. And so they've got an incre- they had an incredible collection and I'm sure they still do. And they've, that was a really good learning experience because it was a bit more of a class education. Like I did my sets there and um, started learning more about um, you know, brands and brand history and longevity. And, you know, I remember like trying Wenderies there, which was some of the most amazing experiences I've had. And, you know, even today I still will drink Wendery and I think it's a beautiful, a beautiful wine, um, to go back to. And I think that kind of was quite piv- quite crucial for me. It's, it was a really good part of my training and history. And, um, so yeah, I was there for a while and then I worked at Black Hearts for a while and mm-hmm. that was sort of my retail history. And then I started really jumping into vintages. And certainly like from between Winehouse and Blackhearts, you really would have seen two quite different um, styles of wine retail and 
yeah. very different kind of wines coming through those two places and yeah. and um you know like this kind of opportunity to specifically look at you know the wine history of Australia like yeah. you know really, really classic wines you know long long term wine producers and then through Black Arts and Sparrows lots of exciting new things whether you know it's Australian wines or imported wines so that mm. would have given you a really great kind of grounding as far as you know the, the variety of styles of wine that they're up there actually out there and what people you know what different wine consumers are after yeah i mean black hearts is incredible and they had such an interesting range and every uh, the, the amazing thing about them them is like every week a new person would come in or a new wine would come in or a new style i've never tried before mm-hmm. and i thought that was really like that kind of for me blew my mind because i didn't know wine could be like that so sure. you know I, I thought it was very classic and you know there was a brand history and it was a you know it sort of built a certain way and then it was kind of like a punk movement, you know. Yeah, it was like, yeah. you know, young kids kind of playing around, being a bit more avant-garde, pushing the boundaries a bit. And so going from those two contexts constantly was really, really amazing. So, mm-hmm. you know, going from like the same day, because I used to do them at the same time, so I might do double shifts and, you know, trying like a really old Chablis and then going to Black Hearts and trying, you know, like a new wine from Central Vic or some, you know, somebody with like a pushing the boundary, doing a lot of skins. And mm-hmm. so I, I really enjoyed that and it gave me two different, appreciations of wine i suppose and, and what was your impetus to kind of look at getting into i guess the production side of things and wanting to to learn how to make wine um well when i was working at the first wine shop i worked at um the chap i worked with he said um breasts are looking just for people to come and help out a few days a week yeah and um, I was like, sure thing. You know, I'd never met Adam Marks before and I'd heard he was a bit of a character. So I went over there and, and um, just helped, you know, just doing basic things like cleaning and, you know, pigeage and things like that. And it just really blew my mind because it was exactly what we talked about earlier. So it's that connection to the land, but also it's like that manual labor. Yeah. I love doing that. I like working with my body. Yeah. But then it's also this, you know, community base. It's also, you know, creative and it's scientific and, yeah, there's just something about that experience when you do vintage in your work as a team and at the end of the day you have a beer. It's mm-hmm. just that it really ca- – it's such a beautiful feeling. Um, and a, a winemaker I've worked for described it like almost waiting for, a you know, a baby to be born and yeah. everybody's working really hard tirelessly and it's like creating this nice little home for the wines to come. And I think that's what really took took me by surprise was how much I enjoyed it. Have, having now had both the experience of vintage and – having a baby i can say that's a pretty pretty apt description, <laughs> pretty apt description. yeah <laughs> very true actually um yeah so then i am um, started doing lots of vintages and in 2011 uh worked in heathcote um mainly working more for somebody vineyard focused and i love that at the end of the day we you know we'd be doing a lot of vineyard work and then pressing off with basket press you know and then sitting out on the deck chair just looking at looking across the hills in heathcote which is so stunning and then 2012 Went to Geelong and worked with Bannockburn, worked with Michael Glover, and that was an incredible experience, really inspiring as well. And I remember him playing all this classical music over the top as you were working the ferments, which was just nothing I'd ever really experienced before. And then 2013 decided, you know what, might might sort of branch out a little bit more, went to Sharon Smith and um, worked in a larger team, and that was a really good experience as well, working with Adam Waterwitz for his first year there, and then went to Bordeaux and went to Chile and then came back to Australia and my degree yeah right okay so it's interesting you kind of you you went in and just sort of said i'm i want to get experience i'm going to learn on the job and work things out for myself and kind of 
then went went back and studied. A lot of my previous uh, winemaker guests have talked about, you know, going away and studying and coming out of it saying, okay, well, you know, this prepares me for working in more large-scale wine production and then eventually kind of wanting to get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller when they start their own brand. Yeah. Um, it, you, you kind of have had a, a slightly different journey. It's, it's, it's great that you kind of were able to, to push yourself and, and get these opportunities mm. uh, at some pretty great producers. Yeah. Um, different but, but, but great producers. And yeah, so I'd, I'd done before I started my degree, I'd done six vintages. And I, I mean, that's what I thought was standard. But yeah, I guess it's not really when I went to uni and was with other, other students, a lot of people hadn't had experience before, you know, some of them hadn't stepped in a winery before. And yeah. I found that I just was so surprised by that, because, you know, a lot of wineries cleaning and a lot of it is, it's a very particular kind of work. You know, it's not it's not as people imagine it to be. I think it's not yeah. as glamorous as people think. There so. is a, a romanticized image of, uh, yeah. of of winemaking. Yeah, you know, like uh, there's this new movie that's come out. I really want to see it called Back to Burgundy. Oh, really? Yeah, and I'm sure they kind of there there are elements that they kind of go, oh, okay, you've you know you've made that look a little bit nicer than it actually is. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's just. Um, you know, it's really easy to say, can I come out and help you for a day a week and see how it's done? And, you know, people get really excited by it when they first come out, come out. And then I think they Particularly start Particularly the trade. Do you find that? Like, oh, they love it. Like, they kind of go, oh, come down and help. Yeah. It's like, it's not that exciting. Well, and, and, and I mean, firstly, like, we have forklifts and stuff like that. We, yeah. tip, you know, we, I don't really need much manual, but you can come down and, yeah. and see, see for what it is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's good to sort of remove the rose colored glasses a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, um, how did you get the opportunity in Bordeaux? That must have been. And, and did you have kind of ideas about where you wanted to go in Europe, or um, did you choose Bordeaux, or just kind of like Bordeaux? The opportunity came up. I got offered a job in the States, and that really um, was a, would have been a good opportunity. Whereabouts? Um, in um, Oregon. Cool. Yeah. Okay. Really, you know, like would have been a good follow-on from working at Sherwin Smith. Yeah, and working Pinot for, and stuff. Yeah, yeah Pinot and. But um, something about it was calling me back because being English, I was like, I want to go back to Europe. I want to work somewhere small. I want to actually – I started to sort of more want to explore the vineyard side of things. And uh-huh. um, the winery that put the ad up, um, they're 20 acres and they had two acres of Lalanda Pomerol, so some really exquisite vineyard sites. And I got there quite early and I was – it was a really small little village right near Le Bourne and it was a beautiful old chateau, amazing you know garden and yeah. just an incredible spot. And I just remember walking through the, the vineyard with the winemaker and it was, I'd never really heard anybody talk about fruit that way before. Like he just had this very different language around things. They're a different way of tasting the fruit. He was like, look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. And I just learned a lot from that experience. And I'm, so I think that's what was also what was calling me there. I just really wanted to go somewhere a little bit different, maybe a bit smaller. I started running the winery for him and, um, yeah, I, I had a really good snapshot and it was so funny. I remember one day, he, his fruit was incredible and I remember one day he was making a rosé and I've never seen somebody be so particular about a rosé before. Yeah. And he said, Lucy, if I if I can't make this rosé, an Appalachian rosé, it's not worth my time. And I was just trying this going, are you kidding me? This is so good. He's like, it's not worth my time. So going from Australia where it's a little bit more open, people can experiment and explore to, you know, an Appalachian system where it's very strict and it sort of limits that a little bit. Yeah. Um, it was quite quite a, a bit of a shock for me as well to see that yeah and a little bit yeah it just made me quite grateful for australia in that way like it, the appellation system is wonderful because it does regulate but it also has its weaknesses in that you can't play around you can't experiment 
and he just said it wasn't worth his money to bottle it. So, mm. you know, I was happy to just drink it as his little worker. But, <laughs> um, yeah, that was a really incredible experience. At, at what point did, um, did the relationship with Alice begin? Ah, oh, so um, Alice. I met her um, first year uni. I was probably falling asleep in a tutorial, an electrical tutorial, and I remember somebody talking and saying something quite articulate, and I thought, this this woman's interesting. And then in a lecture theatre, I went up to her and sat next to her, and I remember just talking for about half an hour straight. She didn't say anything, and then at the end of it she said, um, let's go get lunch. Mm. And so we had a great friendship, um, and then we went to – we were having a bottle of Does the friendship wine. predate predate wine? Yeah, wine? definitely. Okay. Well, for her, it does. Right, okay. And then I, I think I just started geeking out and bringing lots of bottles, and she's like, what's this all about? And oh, wow, to okay. And, mm. and then we had one particular wine – when I just moved into a house, stuff was everywhere and we were just tasting it going, this is really cool. We just had a moment of like, this is really cool. I think it was 3 a.m. in the morning, everyone else had gone to bed. And she said, you know what, we should we should do something. We should get something going. Like we should combine my skills of Spanish and, you know, and your skills of winemaking and we should get a business happening. So we decided to go. So that was the genesis that of was the Cultivar. Genesis, yeah, of Cultivar. And we went to Argentina and started trying lots of different wines, traveling around together, getting mugged a few times as you do <laughs> when you go traveling. Um, and I, I mean, yeah, look, as a, a single white male traveling, <laughs> probably not as I can tell you that it, that never happened to oh, me. <laughs> when you're two women, it, it definitely can yeah, be a Yeah, so um, I feel very privileged right now. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, we had an incredible time trying a lot of Malbecs, going to some of the highest altitude sites in the world and yeah um so we started did you go to, did you go to colomay yeah we went to colomay oh, we went to san pedro de Acachuya, wow which is he i remember talking to the the owner and he said the only problem he had viticulturally was bees i'm like that's a pretty good that's the it's pretty good if that's your only viticultural problem going um and what's, what's the what's the wine equivalent of first world problems <laughs> yeah what's the wine equivalent exactly um so yeah and i we just started exploring argentina and then Something happened. We didn't really sort of find a fit there for us. And then we read about Chile and went there in 2015, made our first wine together and um, started exploring around and fell in love with Chile and the people and the culture and the fruit. is just I remember walking through some of the vineyards being like, I've never seen fruit like this before, you know, dry grown, pre 200-year-old Pais vines. Yeah. And, and Pais is a variety. It's got such a distinctive look to it. You know, I don't know if like, you're an ampelography fan, but I love looking at grapevines grapevines and the history of them and how they form and Pais has these particular particular tufts underneath their leaves and it's just they're really distinctive looking um oh, vines wow. yeah, yeah, yeah and they Look, can go quite <clears> high <throat> and in my experience traveling through Chile I, I really didn't see anything beyond you know the the, the, the sort of the now standard stuff of mm. Carmenere and yeah. Cabernet and Chardonnay, Chardonnay and, and you know stuff that I was obviously very familiar well apart from Carmenere but stuff yeah. that I was very familiar with I, I don't think I even saw any of the, the mission varieties yeah well it's it's an incredible vi- incredible variety and it's actually quite um, disease resistant resistant so it's actually ideally suited if you want to do a lot of organics and I mean some of these vines have never been sprayed or irrigated and just- and, and I would have thought that it would have been there long enough that they would be really well adapted to the environment as well yeah well even some some studies I've read um, have suggested that they actually contribute back to the soil in terms of you know, the argument that, you know, leaching of nitrogen and things like that, they're actually contributing back nutrients. So it's kind of, that's kind of incredible. They almost, 
um, operating like it, they're a native, which is sort of strange, that relationship, because they, you know, there are a lot of studies now saying plants can feel and think and, um, yeah, maybe being there for so long and adapting to the environment, they've started communicating with with um, other like other trees in the region. Or... If plants can feel and think, what are vegetarians going to do? And, <laughs> or vegans? And kind of paradox, moral paradox. Yeah. But, yeah, there's lots of new studies suggesting that now, and I think that's really exciting when you look at old vines in Chile. Yeah, um, yeah. There's so much study to be, to be done down there. I wish there was more happening just so we could know more about it. So um, obviously uh, I want people to listen to – I have already sat down with Alice, but her episode is going to come out after yours. Um, and uh, and I want people to listen to her experience with that. But what was the experience of making the wine with her from a from a winemaker's perspective? Because that, that was her first vintage. Mm. Uh, and so how did you kind of approach it um, having had experience making wine before? Um, well, I – I think at that point I like, wouldn't have said I was a winemaker at all. I would have said I was a you know seller hand. You I, had vintage experience. I had vintage you're experience. A <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I would you know I I knew how to work around in the cellar. I knew how to work efficiently. You know, I was doing a lot of pallet training and things like that. But I guess what Alice did for me and in, in a beautiful way was sort of say, "Come on, Luce. Like you know, you can you can play around. Like be playful and you know buy some fruit." Here, this is an opportunity that we're never going. We might never have again. Yeah. And so we walked through an old bush, hundred fifty year old bush vine, a pais mixed in with other varieties. And I think what really blew my mind was that um, I was completely up for the learning and you know making sure that things were doing like things were right. Monitoring a baby and Alice was a part of that. And yep. you don't really learn about winemaking, I don't think, until you've made your first wine. Mm-hmm. And actually you're the one who's in control and mm-hmm. making sure that, you know, you're guiding it the right way. Mm-hmm. You're, and making, you're making all the choices. I'm making all the choices. And so if I messed up, it's basically on Alice and I. And I think there was, that was the best experience I had really about learning about wine and, and winemaking. So it was wonderful to work with somebody else as well. Like I, I don't know how people... I don't know. I, people ask me, how can you make wine with somebody else? I'm like, I love making wine with somebody else. I love bouncing off ideas. And, you know, often we'll just talk for hours and hours about the wine tasting, going back and retasting before we even touched the wine. And that was exactly how we did it in Chile. We were, we were so particular about what we were doing. We treated it so special as, as it was such a special little entity. So, yeah. um, yeah, I loved that collaborative process with her and, um, she was kind of inexperienced, but she learned so quickly and she sort of, in a way, like the way you get trained as a seller hand, you get taught about how to be efficient and how to do things really well. But Alice was almost like a little bit um, European about it. She was like going really slow. And the way she um, did the ferment or handled the ferment was like I almost learned from that, you know, about how to how to handle wine and how to go slower in the moment. And I really appreciated that because, you know, it's not just a job or working and being efficient. It's also about, you know, taking your time and it's a craft. So I really enjoyed that experience, and I think that's what set the bug for George to come. Yeah, so tell me about uh, the, the, the origins of the, the, the new the Australian pro- project as far as winemaking by George. Um, so Alice and I, after that experience, we were just so chuffed. We brought it over, and we had a good response to the wine. And then we said, we've got to keep doing this. Like, we can't stop. So we bought another ton of fruit um, and made a little red-white blend and – from um, a biodynamic vineyard in um, in Barossa and was really blown away again and just loved that experience of working with her. And then we said, you know, what are we going to call ourselves? So the name is George and it's based on female 
writers writing under a male pen name, so George Eliot, George Sands. It's about women working together. Uh, it's it's a lot about people. So Cultivar was for us about supporting good growers and working with a good community. And I think the same with George. You know, it's it's yes, it's winemaking and it's wine focus, but it's also about collaboration and working with somebody else, working with other people and basically sourcing fruit from from people that we want to work with and, and give our money to, like the people say you vote with your dollar. So, you know, where we spend money on fruit and how we will um, continue to do that in the future is pretty crucial for us. And, I mean, in the future we're thinking about buying a vineyard in Chile and that's where we're go- probably going to head. But for now it's more about that playfulness and learning, you know, we're, we just love the learning element. And um, George is, is sort of encompasses that really well. Yeah, okay. So... The kind of the relationship, although the kind of connection as far as sustainably grown mm. fruit and minimal intervention winemaking, mm. it sounds like that it, it's been kind of a, a number of different influences. And, and I, I guess it's great that you as a, as a winemaker mm. have had the experience of working, you know, in um, very classic mm. sort of Australian wineries um, more modern, larger scale. Yeah. You've seen wine in, in Europe in a, you know, very, uh, I mean, Bordeaux is pretty traditional, but there's a lot of modernity there. Yeah. And then seeing it in Chile, that, that really gave you all those experiences to actually choose to go down a certain path as far as the wine, the wines that you guys are making. Yeah. Um, how did you establish the connections with, um, some of these growers in South Australia? Um, so uh, when, when I was in Chile, I almost had a bit of an epiphany with Alice sort of saying, you know, she asked the question, what is this all for? And it kind of shook me around a little bit because, you know, I'd been working so hard, you know, working as a seller hand, I never really questioned anything. And then this kind of blew my mind. It was like, what is this all for? And I started to think about the intention of a bottle of wine and, and, you know, sustainability of winemaking, because we use so much water, you know, it's a liter and a half to a bottle of wine. And, I started that started to become a huge part of our ethos and so when we were when we were sourcing fruit in South Australia it was about working with people who were following a best practice and and working with growers that we had a relationship with we were really adamant about visiting the site going to look at it a couple of times we really wanted to find somebody we could keep working with year in year out so it was pretty crucial for us and yeah in South Australia we just started roaming around and looking at sites that got we were really inspired by so one of the wines um for in the 17 release is actually Maverja Sanso and so the Maverja is in one row and right next door is the Sanso and I sort of you know I, I remember just I just remember that that spot so clearly in my mind and walking through and feeling the soil on my feet and talking to Wayne and Susie about what the, how they work and that I think that just was a, a click for me same way I felt in Chile walking through those Pais vineyards so for me it's it's finding those um, um, growers is really important and it's the same for here in Central Vic as well. So um, it's just about, you know, talking to people, finding people that you like and and it takes a lot of work, a lot of groundwork and you've got to, and you don't really want to do it until you find the right person. Yeah, absolutely. And and as far as uh, the the way you guys wanted to work uh, in in the winery, um, you kind of, to a certain extent, threw the rule book out the window a little bit and blending varieties. That, and playing around. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, like you said, blending red and white together, it's not a common practice these days. No, not at all. I mean, that's the thing. We we kind of knew that we weren't growers. You know, we I pay a lot of respect to people like Wendery and Henschke who have, have a 150-year-old history or 
I, you know, we're not that. We are young, young, um, young people playing around and having fun, but it also means that, you know, we can contribute something different in the market. And I think what I learned from Chile and that experience was that every bottle of wine should have an intention behind it. And again, like I'm quite an environmentalist. So I think there's, uh, I think it's so important because of the wastage in wine to really think about what you're doing and, and, you know, really not just put anything in a bottle, but really be considerate about it because it does have an impact. And, you know, I was like listening to an, an Indian philosopher the other day saying, if you, if we only worked four days a week, think about all of the energy savings, all of the, you know, the fuel taken off the road. And it's the same with wine. Like, you know, think about, think about your intention with everything you do. And so for us, that was pretty critical. And, you know, even playing around, it's every bottle still, we want to have a bit of an intention and a focus. It's not just, oh, that, that looks all right. We'll put it in a bottle. We've, we spend so many, um, so many hours thinking and deliberating before we actually even put anything in a bottle. So mm. I think that's pretty critical for us. And that's what this is all about, George. It's purpose. It's collaboration. It's about, um, you know, p- learning and pushing boundaries. Uh, so you guys are about to officially launch them. Yeah. Um, yeah. and, and we've got how many wines, how many different vintages? Are, I've are... got, um, so 2017. So we've got, um, five or six wines at the moment, um, five ready for release. Um, so a mixture from some Sauvignon Blanc and Pinot Noir from a really high point in the Adelaide Hills from a, a grower we like, some, um, Mavedra Sanso from, um, a vineyard in, um, Barossa. Um, we've also got a Merlot from an organic vineyard in um, Norton Summit in the hills as well. So all places that we've gone to visit and really loved the vineyard site. Um, so, yeah, they will be released this weekend officially. Yes. Yeah, so um, if it, it, assuming I get the episode out uh, in time, uh, if you are listening to this, there will be, uh, and you're Melbourne-based, of course, there's going to be a, a little launch party at Cult of the Vine, yeah. who um, I believe designed your labels as yeah. well, as, as he did mine. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the other the part that we... We're really um, thinking about, I mean, the label was designed by a, a really incredible artist called Sarah Strickland and she did a wonderful job. We're so proud of them and um, Brad as well did the logo. So, yeah, we, we, there's a lot of purpose behind that as well and how we it took us a long time to decide and what we wanted. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we're really proud of them. Yeah. And, and it must be exciting kind of having had the experience so far of importing some wines from Chile and, and, and obviously, you know, both of you have had the experience of working in retail, kind of thinking about how to, how to take those to the market and how, mm. and, you know, and connecting with the consumer must be, you know, really exciting opportunity for you, especially with the, with the new wines. Yeah. And yeah, definitely. And we just want them to be really accessible and drinkable and, um, really delicious and, you know, juicy and mm-hmm. fun. And mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, in the future when we hopefully get a vineyard in Chile, it will be a little bit different, but George is about at the moment pushing boundaries and learning and, and having fun. So, um, yeah, we're really stoked with this vintage and we're happy with the 2018s at the moment as well. So, so um, Saturday, what's the date? Saturday, the f- um, 14th of July, 2 to 4 p.m. at Cult of the Vine. So there'll be some empanadas at the front as well. Awesome. Just come for a free tasting, bring your friends, be a really good affair and good banter, hopefully. We'll try our best. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Lucy, do you want to uh, share any social media handles that you might have or um, website addresses for people to find out more? So we're sort of in the process of rebuilding the website, but it's cultivarwines.com.au, cultivar spelled C-U-L-T-I-V-A-R, and the Insta handle is cultivarvinos. Um, yeah, so come and hit us up and messages. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for making some time, uh, the second time. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, looking forward to, to trying all the wines. Thanks very much. And thank you for joining us on this episode of The Vincast. I have been James Scarsbrook, otherwise known as The Intrepid Wino. And you can find me on social media on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm at Intrepid Wino. And you can also follow the podcast on Twitter at The Vincast. Uh, you can find my YouTube channel, uh, Intrepid Wino, one word, uh, where I have posted a number of different videos, including my series Tasting Australian Wines Let's Taste. Uh, and in fact, I'm going to be hopefully posting a, a new episode soon looking at Lucy Analysis, uh, some of their first releases. So uh, make sure you subscribe, leave a comment, a, com- um, a like, uh, share it on social media. Uh, I'd love to hear from you on the YouTube channel. Uh, of course, you can follow the podcast on uh, on a number of different channels uh, and platforms, including iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, iHeartRadio, Podbean. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be on um, Spotify soon. Uh, maybe even the Google Podcasts app. I'm not sure what that's called, but uh, just uh, in, in your podcast listening apparatus of choice, just search for the Vincast. Make sure you subscribe. Uh, you should be able to access every episode of the podcast. Uh, and it's also a fantastic way to provide some feedback by leaving a rating and review. I love hearing from people, as do the uh, the other guests and the other listeners. Uh, please come and visit me at intrepidwino.com. There's lots of different information there. Uh, you can find different ways of getting in contact with me. And I hope to see you guys at uh, Cult of the Vine this Saturday uh, to catch up with Alice and Lucy and try their first releases. But until next time, bye. Earbuds, Melbourne's podcast network. EarbudsNetwork.com